Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Is our Christian faith that Jesus will come again? But what will it be like when he, when he returns? How will it happen? When will it happen? What will happen? Last week, Pastor Kevin preached in our sermon series called Surprised by Hope about the ascension of Jesus into heaven. If you haven't been with us since Easter, we've been looking at the resurrection of Jesus and how the resurrection of Jesus is the the central piece of our Christian faith and it has lasting and ongoing effects in our lives, in the creation now and forever. And so Pastor Kevin last week preached about how Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. And he made the bold point in his sermon that when Jesus ascended into heaven, it does not mean that Jesus is absent from us or removed from us. Not at all. Jesus is not absent from us because as we've been trying to get us to rethink about heaven, that that heaven is not some other uh, physical space somewhere else, but heaven is by definition the, the place where God is. And God is near to us, still present in this place, and, and therefore heaven comes even to meet us in this place, even, even today. And, and God is active here in his creation still today. Even today, Jesus is active. Therefore, Jesus is still nearby. He's still real. He's still sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things. He's still communicating with us, making himself known to us in very real promised ways. Jesus promises to be where his word is. And so Jesus communicates with you. He communicates with you. See, it's, it's like this. When Jesus appears, when he comes again, it will be like meeting face-to-face someone that you have only known through letters or phone calls or internet communications. Like you've got a relationship, but eventually you'll meet face to face. See, none of you have seen Jesus face to face yet, and yet he still makes himself known to you. He promises to be where his word is, both his spoken word and his written word in the scriptures. He promises to be in baptism. He promises to be in the Lord's Supper. He promises to be where his people are gathered in his name. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is present in this world, going before us, seeking and saving the lost. The Bible tells us that Jesus goes before us, preparing good works in advance for us to do so that we might walk in them and other people will see those good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. 
Jesus is very real, very active still today, and yet still to come, still to come, there is a day to come when Christ will come again. He will return. He will appear, and we will see him face to face, and in that moment, everything will change. This is what the Bible teaches. The whole Old Testament points to this coming day, this last day. The whole New Testament, the the apostles, Paul and Peter and John, all, all speak very clearly about the return of Christ. The Bible ends with these words, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The early Christian church writings, the creeds that we confess, All of the writings all throughout the the Middle Ages and the Reformation, they all testify to this reality, our historic biblical Christian faith, that Christ will come once and for all, one more time. And on that day that Christ comes, the dead will be raised, the living will be transformed, all will be judged, the creation will be redeemed, and all will be made new on that day. Plain and simple, one more coming of Christ, one universal resurrection from the dead and restoration of all things. But this may not be what some of you have heard or think about when you think about the, what's oftentimes called the end times. Today I want to show you a prevalent teaching that has kind of snuck into the church, predominantly in the American church, in the last 200 years, and that's drastically affected the way that a lot of people think about the end times and about what they believe we should be looking for in Christ. And, and it's this basic idea, and I'll get into it in just a second, but just it's, it's this basic idea that there are that there are different dispensations or different, different ages, that the Bible history is broken up into all these ages, and that one day there will be this rapture, and then Jesus will come again after a torturous and tumultuous time, and then later on after that he'll come again, and there will be a, a thousand-year reign. And I don't know, some of you may have heard something like this. And today, if, if not, today my goal is just to, to show you, to point out that there are, there are a number of problems with this kind of thinking, and they do some damage to our Christian faith. And so I, I want to look at a little bit of history of, of how that teaching came into the Christian church in America, and then we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3, and I'll show you the historic and biblical truth about Christ's coming again. So, First, a little bit of history. In 1862, there was a man named John Nelson Darby, who was an English man from England, and he came to America, and he was a traveling teacher and preacher, and he was the first one to really make known this emphasis, this teaching that he created that if you look at Bible history, he would say that Bible history is broken up into seven different ages, historical time frames. And he would say that at the death of Jesus, we've now entered into the sixth age. 
And what we're waiting for now, he would say, is that one day Jesus is going to come back and first come to rapture or secretly come and take away just the Christian people and take them away to heaven and leave behind all the non-Christians who will face a seven-year time of uh, tumultuous turmoil and tribulation where the devil kind of has free reign and they'll, they'll have another opportunity to believe in Jesus. And then they say Christ will come again to end that seven-year period. And then Jesus and all of his followers will go to Jerusalem and have a blissful rule over all of creation for a thousand years. And then the end will come. So, John Nelson Darby popularized this idea, but then it really took root with a man named Cyrus Schofield, who was an American, and he wrote the Schofield Reference Bible. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this, but it was kind of the first, like, major study Bible where you could be reading the Bible and then have notes right there that explained what was happening. And Schofield's notes lined up with John Nelson Darby's teaching. But this teaching and the reference Bible really took root in American history as World War I was taking off. And it makes sense because in American history in the early 1900s, there was a time of thinking that, that maybe the world has entered into this new time of, of peace and prosperity. But then when the evils of a world war struck the world, people started wondering how this new age of peace and prosperity would be working. And so the, this, this teaching of these men and this reference Bible, what it teaches people is that, that you can look at the Bible and look at prophetic language and look at dates and ages and time frames. And then they say you can look at world events and put the biblical prophecy on top of the world events and then say, oh, because this is happening, this is happening, therefore we know that Jesus is coming here and then there and therefore. And so it really took off because it gave people something to kind of look at and it, and it kind of made them think, well, I guess world war is inevitable is sort of how they would think. And then, and then here's what happened. See, TV preachers... TV preachers that adopted this kind of teaching went on air and started teaching this kind of um, teaching very popularly in America. And then in the mid-90s and early 2000s, there were books written called the Left Behind series. I don't know if anybody ever heard of those or read them, but then they turned into movies. And they're fictional books, but, but they're, they're teaching this kind of worldview, this kind of biblical reading. And there are a lot of problems with this kind of teaching. It does a lot of damage to people's hope. And because of time, I can't really get into all of it today. We're going to uh, talk about it more on our podcast this week. But also, I've got some resources for you if you're the kind of person who really wants to look into stuff. You can go to our website, copperluth.org slash surprisedbyhope. It's in the bulletin as well. And click on the resources down in the bottom. The, the one that says a Lutheran response to the Left Behind series is a very concise um, 
uh, picture that, that demonstrates this kind of teaching and a, a Lutheran response to it. And then the second one, a study on the end times and millennialism, really gets into it. So if you want to really dig in and kind of see what all this di- different teaching is about, that would be the one that you want to read. There are lots of troubles with this, but today I just want to talk about two very quickly, and then we're going to set this aside and move on to what we believe. This teaching is oftentimes called dispensationalism, and the two main problems are, one, it focuses on world events instead of on Jesus. Okay? So it, it kind of says, look at all the problems of the world. Look at the wars, look at the earthquakes, look at the famines. Look, they would say, you read Matthew chapter 24 that talked about all these things. See, it's a, it's a sign. It's, it's all happening. Look, this thing, that thing, that thing. And they try to calculate it all out and And so it focuses you more on worldly events than than on Jesus and what he's done and promised to do. And and therefore, it plays more on people's fears. This kind of teaching, this dispensational teaching, really works you up because you wonder, has the rapture already happened? When's it going to happen? Am I going to make it? What's going to happen if my loved one's taken and I'm not? And then they get get really worked up. And, And instead of looking at the sure and certain promises of Jesus that he promises to be where his word is, where his church is, where his sacraments are, and to trust in Jesus' promises which give true hope. So we're going to set all that aside. Again, you can check out those resources for more. Now I want to show you our biblical and historic Christian position about what it will be like when Jesus appears. I showed you this slide already. I'm going to show it again. I'm going to show it one more time at the end of the sermon. But when Christ comes, on that day, one time, the dead will be raised, the living will be transformed, all will be judged, the creation will be redeemed, and all will be made new. Now, again, this is the biblical teaching throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and even to the end of the Bible, which ends, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Today we're looking at just one passage, one passage. So you have to look at the the whole sum of the Bible to fully understand our teaching. But I just want to look at Philippians chapter 3 today. Philippians chapter 3 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven. In this sermon series, we've been trying to help you rethink this idea of of heaven. Again, that, that heaven's not just a place that you go to some other day, but heaven is even real now and interacts with your life even even now heaven is the dwelling place of god and so where god is there is heaven and god is making himself known here he is present right now he's alive right now he's jesus is is sitting on the throne of his kingdom of heaven and earth ruling and reigning i know it sometimes it might not feel like it but he is. But you got to understand a little bit of context here, and this will be helpful. These words were written by the Apostle Paul 
to the church in a town called Philippi. Philippi was a city in the Roman Empire. Now, when he's writing to the people of Philippi, it's as though he's saying to them, you are citizens of Philippi, because that's where you live. But because Philippi is part of the Roman Empire, you are citizens of Rome. So whether you live in Italy or in Mesopotamia or the Middle East or Egypt or parts of Africa that, that encompass the Roman Empire, citizens of Rome exist all throughout the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, the emperor was often seen as the savior. So Paul is making a big statement here. He's, he's saying to the people, he's saying, okay, you know how you are citizens of Rome and that the emperor of Rome is to be seen as your savior? Well, you are actually citizens of heaven and Jesus is actually your savior. Paul's trying to craft this image. Get them thinking like this. He's, he's trying to get them to think like, all right, imagine in Philippi, imagine that, um, imagine that things were not going well in your town. Now, if you lived in Philippi, likely you never met the emperor face to face. But if you're, something was going wrong in your town, say there was an uprising or neighboring villages came and were trying to attack you, let's imagine that the emperor himself came with the full weight and power of the Roman Empire to set things straight, to get rid of the enemies, to reconstruct what's been overtaken. That's what the saving emperor would do to put all things into subjection with his power. So Paul is saying the same is true for you who are citizens of heaven, even though you live here on earth. Christ will come again you may not have met Jesus face to face yet, but he will come and he will set things straight. He will make all things new. You are citizens of heaven. He is your savior. And when he appears, you will be made new. He will transform your bodies to be like his resurrected body. Maybe a more closely understood metaphor instead of talking about kings and empires and things would be talking about mom. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. See, when I was a kid, uh, I lived with my mom uh, and my dad, but it's not his day, so we'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. But I lived with my mom, um, and my mom uh, taught me, cared for me, provided for me, loved me, made things right <laughs> for me. Right? When things were messed up or broken, spoke to me, helped me reorient my life. In my stage of life right now, I do not live with my mom anymore. I moved out of her basement. I did used to live in the basement, by the way. <laughs> we don't see each other face to face all that much, maybe a couple times a year, and yet we still communicate. Actually, even to this day, sometimes my mom is actually the only one who can still make things right. 
Oftentimes it's uh, during what my wife and I call the witching hour, those fine hours you know, like between when I'm like waiting to get home from work and cooking is trying to take place and the kids are losing it. During that time, a lot of times we, we call my mom or FaceTime her and she can help reorient the kids and change the dynamic. Even my mom can still do that from a distance. And when she comes to visit, it's very nice. Peace comes to our home. It's very wonderful. She even helps to organize our home and set things straight once again. How much more so when Jesus returns and appears? Right now, Jesus is still active. He's king. He's sitting on his throne. He's making himself known to you, right? You don't see him in the flesh, but he promises to be where his word is spoken and written, where his sacraments are administered, where his people gather, when his word is being made known in the world, when good works are being done in his name. He's very, very active making himself known to us, delivering gifts to us. And one day, he will come again, he will appear, and in that moment, everything will change. The return of Christ will be a wonderful experience for those of us who are in Christ. Remember, you know him right now. He's talking to you, making himself known to you, revealing himself to you. Someday you will see him face to face and he'll make all things better. This is what it will be like for those who are in Christ. But for those who are outside of Christ, who have rejected Jesus, it will be a different experience in eternity when Christ comes. Because if you reject Jesus now, what you want in this life is what you will get for all of eternity. An absence of God an absence of what is good, a life that is empty and full of void and, and dread. But those of you who want something better, who would desire to have life and hope and peace and purpose and joy and life, not just forever, but even for now, Jesus is calling out to you. The, the phone line is open. He's calling to you, saying, I created you, I love you, I sent my son for you, even if you've rejected me, I, I, you're, come on home. Come on back to me. I will give you the gift of eternal life. And so the invitation is, pick up the phone. Talk to him. Receive what he is offering you. Receive his love, receive his life, receive forgiveness, receive citizenship in heaven, receive what he can give. We're going to keep talking about the return of Christ for the next few weeks. Uh, and, and next week, we're going to talk specifically about one of the things Jesus will do when he comes back, that he will be judge. That's what we're talking about next week and then the week after that. We'll talk about when he comes back. He's going to raise our bodies from the dead. So that's two weeks from now. But I just want to make sure that you get your minds right. I'm going to share the same slide one last time as we conclude. When Christ comes again, in that moment, on one last day, the dead will be raised, the living will be transformed, all will be judged, the creation will be redeemed, and all will be made new. And in the meantime, he wants to make himself known to you. He wants to talk to you. He's not far away at all. Just, just, just like my mom's not far away to call on FaceTime, he's even closer to you. He's already calling. The line is open. Receive what he has to give to you. He's coming soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Amen.